And some of the news outlets actually have a really good argument here where I actually had a conversation with one of the journalists who was writing a story for Proposition 122 where he kept using the term legalize. And I asked him, like, why are you why are you saying legalize here? And he said, well, decriminalization typically includes some kind of reduction in penalty and a fine. But what you're doing in Colorado is that there's no fines, no limits on possession. You're removing criminal penalties completely for, for the possession and use of these medicines. To me, that's legalization. And so I think in the context of Colorado, it is fair to say that dimethyltryptamine, ibogaine, mescaline, not including peyote, psilocybin, and psilocin have been legalized for adults 21 and over to use, possess, cultivate, transport, transfer, gift, share. The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak. They talk to you. They will answer questions, carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up. Welcome to Psilocybin Says, everyone. The voice you're hearing is Connor. I edit these episodes, and I'm happy to now be voicing some intros as well. You know, we as humans suffer for want of what is beheld clearly by the mushroomed mind. So it's been a pleasure and a privilege to help produce this show because it is resonant with my desire to see mushrooms happen to the world. Okay, today's episode features Kevin Matthews. Matthews is a seasoned political strategist and drug policy reform advocate in Denver, Colorado. In 2018, he formed Decriminalize Denver, a grassroots effort that successfully passed Initiative 301 in May 2019, making Denver the first city in the United States to effectively decriminalize psilocybin mushrooms. As a political speaker and advocate for psychedelics, he is committed to educating the public and being a steward of the psychedelic renaissance. Here's a question for you to keep in mind during the conversation. How important is it to you that your city or state achieve the freedom Denver and others have achieved? Connecting with local decrim initiatives on social media will show you ways you can contribute. And if you're new here, you can subscribe on YouTube and podcasts and make sure you connect with us on Instagram and TikTok. And now, Eric and Courtney interview Kevin Matthews. All right, Kevin Matthews, the man, the myth, the legend. I've been looking forward to this conversation for uh, really years, uh, but just a few weeks since we last spoke. So thank you so much for joining us on Civil 7 Says. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Absolutely, Courtney and Eric. Yeah, thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. I've, I've been looking forward to this one. I, I feel like most people have an idea of who you are, but I may be overestimating my uh, intimate knowledge of the world of psilocybin. Uh, so you have been, and I've been watching your work for years. I was so impressed in how you you led that decrim Denver, which was the first psilocybin decriminalization in the nation. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, Denver that is was incredible. the first city to deprioritize psilocybin mushrooms, personal use, possession, and cultivation. Um, and what was unique about Denver is that we uh, basically told the city not to spend any city funds on enforcement as well. So it was kind of a new, a, a step in a new direction with, with decriminalization. What wow. a milestone for the mushroom here mm-hmm. in the United States. Yeah. So, but yeah. before, before we get into your professional career, your professional involvement with psilocybin, uh, why don't you kind of tell our listeners how you came into the world of psilocybin and, and some of the impact that it's had on your personal life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
the the journey with this for me goes back to over a decade when I left the U.S. Military Academy. So when I was a really, really little kid, when I was nine years old, I was like, I'm going to go be in the Army. And then my dad said, well, you're smart enough to be an officer. And if you want to be an officer in the military, then you should go to one of the service academies. And so from a very young age, I wanted to go to either West Point, um, which is the U.S. Military Academy up in New York, and or the U.S. Naval Academy, which is in Annapolis, Maryland. And, um, you know, ended up getting into West Point. Um, I was there for two and a half years. But when I was there, I was diagnosed with major depression and ended up leaving, uh, getting a, a, a medical discharge. I'm actually retired from the U.S. Army um, because of a 30% disability with, with major depression. And my entire life, I wanted to serve my country as a U.S. military officer. And when I left West Point, um, you know, my sense of self essentially crumbled. My identity completely disappeared. So I was kind of lost in a sea of uncertainty about who I am, what I want to do with my life, um, while at the same time struggling with, with depression. And um, as a result of that, it led me down the path of, I'm sure many folks might have this experience, but just devouring self-help books, learning a lot about human psychology, um, trying to get to the root of kind of what's going on in my life and how to, um, you know, how to, how to get better. And that led me down the path of uh, learning a lot about spirituality and different traditions and went to yoga school. And um, eventually that also led me to wanting to learn more about uh, psychedelic plants and, and fungi, our plant medicine allies and friends. And my experience, um, the breakthrough experience that I had with psilocybin was 11 years ago, um, just this last January. And it was here in Denver. And I was with a new group of friends and kind of embraced a new lifestyle from a much more kind of transformational perspective, maybe a little bit new agey in some cases, but we have a tremendous community here in Colorado. And uh, that experience changed my life. Um, we went for a walk. It was in the city. We went to a park. And I remember just looking up at the sky and whether the clouds actually parted or not, this insight came to me that, that said, you know, Kev, like, you know how the mushrooms speak to us, right? Like, Kev, you no longer have to be a victim to your diagnosis. You can make the choice. You can change your mind and start to walk a different path um, and make those small concerted steps in a new direction every single day. And that was the moment that really catalyzed this shift for me and a lot of changes in my life. And a few years later, I learned about the work that MAPS was doing with MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD, um, veterans and other populations, which really piqued my interest in learning more about the science of these medicines, the modern science, right, all the clinical research. And fast forward another few years later, um, I'm a father. I have an eight and a half year old. I think my little guy was about two or three at the time, um, 2017. So yeah, he would have been just over three years old. It was actually a podcast uh, where Joe Rogan was interviewing Paul Stamets. And it was the first one he did, I think, with Paul. It was, uh, I want to say, November 2017. And in that interview, 
you know, if folks haven't listened to it, I highly recommend it because it's just packed with information coming from, you know, the grand wizard himself, uh, Paul. He shares about his first experience with psilocybin and then um, something he said, which just stuck with me in a very profound way. He, he basically said, uh, he said, Joe, congratulations, you're now a vector of Paul Stamets. And he said that because Paul was referring to the fungal microbiome that exists in our bodies and how we're constantly breathing in and breathing out um, spores, right? And like when he said that, it was just a moment of clarity. To me, it was like a, a total scientific basis and rationale for the fact that we are all connected. We do exist in this beautiful unity together that might look different. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're all, we're all riding this, you know, this, this spaceship earth together. Right. And, and, and also in that interview, <clears throat> excuse me, they briefly discussed, uh, a campaign which was happening in California at the time. Um, and so that, that, in, in that campaign, if I remember correctly, was called the California psilocybin legalization initiative. Oh yeah. And, I talked to that right? guy. Yeah. I forgot. Yep. Yeah. Kevin, I forget Kevin's last name. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so that kind of dropped the spore and the spark inside of me of like, man, it'd be great if we did something like that here in Colorado. And then, <laughs> you know, sure enough, um, a few weeks <laughs> later, I got basically scrolling through the news feed and there were some folks who were organizing. Um, and so I jumped on that as, as quickly as possible. I was like, man, this is a sign. Um, and so, you know, the original work, uh, here in Denver was initially spearheaded by another individual. His name is Tyler. And he and I just hit it off. And kind of one thing led to another um, after multiple iterations of different kind of drafting of ballot language for the city and county of Denver, where um, folks asked me to, to spearhead the campaign. And, and I did. And although I was the campaign manager, I mean, that was, that was an incredible effort because most of us had no experience, myself included, with any kind of advocacy or activism or policy reform work. You know, we were learning as we were going and we were bootstrapped. And, um, you know, that, that, that was an effort, a community effort of leadership in so many ways. So many of us wore a ton of different hats. And knowing that we needed to, in many ways, because this was, you know, this work is so new for people, you know, we had to rebrand the image of psilocybin mushrooms away from the stigma, mm -hmm. right, from the 60s and 70s. And I think with uh, with my training and skills coming from the military, you know, being educated in a very formal way at, at West Point, um, that made me a good candidate to kind of be the front person and in the press and doing all that stuff with Denver's campaign. And before we get, you know, there's much more I can share about Denver, but that's how... <laughs> Um, that's the, the, the reader's digest version of how <laughs> I came to this work. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Well, I just, I'm so curious about that whole process. It's something that we talk about here. Uh, and I just want to <laughs> say that that's one of the things that I noticed back then is how great of a job you all did at branding of the mushroom, you know, um, <laughs> one of the things that I'm remembering about, uh, the guy in California, I don't think he's still involved in Soul Seven work, but you know he did an interview where he started talking about aliens, you know, with the New York Times or something. And 
while I'm fully on board with the possibilities of psilocybin allowing us to communicate with extraterrestrial life, I'm not sure that's what needs to go on the front page. Uh, so I was super impressed with how you all presented it. And I think that that had to have such a massive um, impact to it becoming accepted like it was. Uh, yeah. 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 It, yeah. it really did. You know, we, we heavily lean on the science. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really our, our messaging was that no, no single person deserves to face, you know, severe criminal penalties for using something that one grows naturally, you know, it's a gift from a gift from God on this planet that it's our human birthright to use these medicines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then two, looking at the safety, um, you know, as you both well know, you know, of course there's risks, but the, the, the safety and the efficacy of these medicines and, and it, and it worked and I'll never forget. Mm, I'm learning to actually say that differently. I will always remember <laughs> the moment, uh, May 8th, 2019 election day was May 7th and it was so close the entire evening. Um, I think by 1 AM on, on election night <clears throat> and, you know, folks that left our, our, our watch party and which is our, our election night event, which was so much fun. Um, you know, folks were kind of downtrodden because we were, we were behind, we were losing every hour and a half. They updated the election results and it was like, you know, no. And yes, inching closer and closer and closer and closer. And when I went to sleep that evening after, you know, it was late at night, I learned that we had 40,000 more votes to count. Mm. And it was the largest turnout election in Denver's history in 30 years. <laughs> um, wow. So, so they announced the results on May 8th. And I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it right now. They announced the results at May 8th. On May eighth at four twenty p.m. on the top. <laughs> wow! Um, and and I'm in my in my driveway on the phone, and I get a text message or something, a phone call, and it was a journalist buddy of mine, and he was like, I picked it up. I got off one call, picked that one up, and he's like, Kevin, you won, you won, you won, you won. And so I, I said, ah, I hit, hit hit end, refresh the feed on the on the election track, and sure enough, they declared it. <laughs> like, and then. <clears throat> And I just did this like primal, you know, release in into the cosmos and deeply rooted in my house, like because <laughs> all this energy and time and uncertainty yeah. from the pretty much like 18 months of work with that campaign as well culminated in that moment, which just opened up so many tremendous possibilities, you know, I think not just for Denver, but mm-hmm. um you know, so many other people to do this work. And absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, that's absolutely. what I'm, that's what I'm thinking right now is just like, I'm so grateful that you listened to mm. the calling or however you want to put it to pursue this very new thing for you of advocacy work. I'm so grateful because it's helping us. It's helping uh, all the so other people many. that are Standing up for our birthright to practice. Well, that's what we saw. How many, how many cities are we at now that have done decriminalization efforts? So I, I want to say 17. Okay. Mostly spearheaded. It's right. And, and, and to give full credit, uh, mostly spearheaded by the, by the nationwide advocacy network of decriminalized nature. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Oakland happened six weeks after Denver mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now we're at 17 cities and, you know, two states um, Oregon and Cal and Colorado. And then, you know, this, this session with at, at state legislatures across the entire country, over a dozen States are considering some kind of reform. I mean, this, this, 
No, and I'll just be clear. I, and I, I know you guys know this, like <laughs> I do the best that I can to be a conduit for this because mm-hmm. you know, the, the medicine, the mushrooms are really directing the conversation here. Mm-hmm. They're directing the movement. Um, you know, there's so many parallels with what's happening in the world right now. And, and I think why, uh, you know, these medicines are, are really coming to the surface and, and becoming more available for people at this time, because we, we need their wisdom. Um, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, before we get into the, uh, consciousness of mushrooms, which definitely want yeah. to, uh, can, can you talk a little bit about like that two year window? Cause it was, it's been, it's been two years since the decrim and then, or three years now, is it four years? Where the fuck are we? Is it four years it's now? Four. It'll be four yeah. years in May. Yeah. yeah four years. Yeah. Uh, and so now Colorado has legalized, which is a, a massive step. Um, and, um, I, what I'm seeing so far and the conversations that we had, you know, it's like, seems like Colorado is really on the right track. Um, and so, you know, it might be helpful to do some kind of comparison between the situation in Colorado, the situation in Oregon, uh, because as states start to open up, we're going to have various models and for people to understand, you know, as big a picture as they can of what's going on, uh, is really important. I think. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, well, you know, I don't think there's any one size fits all cookie cutter regulatory solution here. Different States are going to look different based on the demographics, there, people's opinions, et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, different regulatory systems. Uh, I think, so much of this work is around education and we have a ton more of that to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and thankfully, you know, we have the success across the country in all these different States. We have Oregon, we have Colorado, we have models that we know work. Um, or at least we hope work because we're going to see mm-hmm. as Oregon's service centers with psilocybin come online anytime now. Um, and as we go through our rulemaking and regulatory process here, um, you know, we're going to find out how effective these models can be and how they can be um, iterated in some way in other places. Uh, mm-hmm. What I do know for a fact is that decriminalization works. Um, you know, decriminalization first needs to be a priority here. Mm-hmm. And because in, in many ways that liberates people's ability to use these medicines in a way that works for them and in community. And so models of community healing that can be created through decrim efforts are critical. And then if we look at, at access, um, you know, a, a lot of these self-regulating communities, which is kind of how I like to talk about them now, you know, of folks who've been using these medicines and who are using these medicines, uh, in many ways, those, those communities aren't necessarily accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in, in the way that perhaps we, we need um, to address a lot of the crises that we're facing in our country right now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, you know, just to use Colorado as an example, what I love about our measure is that it really is, to me, is the best of both worlds because it has this regulated therapeutic access program that's going to be available, you know, where people 21 and over can access um, or be offered, you know, facilitation of these services at state licensed locations, healing centers, approved healthcare locations, et cetera. Uh, but we also have uh, the removal of criminal criminal penalties, and essentially, um, it's it's a true form of decriminalization, where adults twenty one and over can um, use, possess, 
cultivate at home and gift or share these medicines uh, with their community, their friends, their family members, if they're 21 and over. And it creates a possibility for uh, folks to continue actually working and creating these different containers um, of, of healing and transformational work outside of the regulated model. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, and, and circling back to education, a lot of these states right now that are looking at legislation, uh, a lot of them are research bills. Um, I think in many places, you know, Colorado is unique. We kind of spearhead a lot of things, at least in drug policy mm-hmm. <laughs> and especially, you know, you know, obviously cannabis and, and, mm-hmm. and plant medicines now. And, um, you know, we, we just have to consider that, I mean, I mean, it's important to consider that people have different perspectives about these medicines, right? Like we did face, we had paid opposition here in Colorado, folks who basically collapsed, um, psilocybin into the same category as both cannabis and fentanyl, um, you know, which was actually not very surprising. And, and, and that's unfortunate though, because it's just simply a matter of how are we talking about these medicines in a way that makes sense for people. And then, mm-hmm. you know, having the data, having the science, <clears throat> but more importantly, getting that, you know, passionate voice of conviction from someone who's been healed by this to really give that personal emotional touch along with the data, right? Mm-hmm. And we need both of those things. And so, yeah, as, as we, I'm very optimistic. I'm I'm really proud of the, this work that's happened, obviously here in, in Colorado and across the country. And, and in many ways, the way that I kind of think about this, especially in my work now, is that this is really a big ship with a small rudder. And plant medicines can be you know, we, that, that's, it's a different form of, of energy that we can use to maybe just turn that ship mm. one or two degrees so that ultimately we're at this, this different destination. Um, but that small rudder, it takes a lot of turning of the wheel to get there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so many other healing modalities and work that can be, uh, you know, holistically integrated with this medicine work as well. It's not just about psychedelics, right? Like it's, it's, it's the full spectrum of, um, you know, how these medicines inspire, um, you know, uh, uh, in, inspire a, a catalyzed or catalyze a shift in a person's life in a way where they're living more connected, um, you know, in spirit with their, their divine spark within them firmly rooted here on the ground and like making these lifestyle changes and new choices. So there's a lot there mm. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking right now about, um, so a sanctuary part of our membership process is the last part is a, uh, a discovery call with other new members. And that's an opportunity for people to ask questions, any questions that they have, which there's generally a lot. And, um, we have people all over the country and, and the call last week, we had, uh, two new members from Colorado and they both mentioned, uh, we're so excited that, um, psilocybin is now legal in Colorado. And of course, whenever someone says legal versus decriminalized, you know, I feel the need to have an education moment uh, about the difference between the two. And there's a lot, we get this a lot, Mm -hmm. um, that people don't understand the difference. And you mentioned, as you were speaking just now, some of the things that come along with decriminalization, but just to have that 101 education moment, would you mind um, 
uh, telling our listeners the the difference between decriminalization great, and yeah. legalization? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Awesome. And it's it's actually a really important question. Um, so first of all, let's look at Denver. In in Denver, we actually we didn't decriminalize mushrooms. We deprioritized them. Um, and and the press, you know, it's always in the press. It's been decriminalized or mm-hmm. even legalized in the context mm-hmm. of of Prop One Twenty Two. But in Denver, we de- we deprioritized, and that's actually what's happened in. In, in the cities across the country, their entheogens are the lowest enforcement priority for for police and law enforcement, really meaning that um, like jaywalking is a higher offense. <laughs> um, so so at, at the city level where these medicines have been deprioritized and I'm going to keep saying deprioritized and that's a little mm-hmm. bit of a mouthful, but it's it's the correct term to use here. Mm. Um, folks have to consider that in those cities, um, in, in whichever state where those cities are, it's still illegal at the state level, and it's also illegal at the federal level, right? So, and if we look at kind of traditional models of decriminalization, they're typically a, a reduction in, in penalties, where something goes from being a, fennel, a, fe- a felony uh, for possession, let's say, to being a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. Um, so Oregon's Measure 110 is actually a good example, which was passed in 2020, alongside Measure 109, which was their civil slap and services initiative. Um, Measure 110 decriminalized the personal use of all drugs in small amounts. And folks who were in possession of those drugs um, over those approved amounts do have to face some kind of civil penalty, um, but it's not a criminal penalty any longer. So they're not really facing incarceration or mm-hmm. you know, heavy fines or fees or jail time. So, so to, to back up, because I'm, I'm talking a lot here, decriminalization typically, historically, involves a reduction in, in penalties. The beautiful thing about the work that we're doing with, with plant medicine is that um, in none of the cities across the country, and including here in Colorado statewide, there, there's, First of all, no possession limits. Um, you know, for example, a person can have any amount um, on their person, in their pocket, in their car, and and that's the same. In, like, like I said, in, in all the cities, Denver, there's no limit on possession. So it goes a little bit step further, which is why I th- I think that and well, and some of the news outlets actually have a really good argument here where I actually had a conversation with one of the journalists who was writing a story for Proposition 122, where he kept using the term legalize. And I asked him, like, why are you, why are you saying legalize here? And he said, well, as I've been saying, decriminalization typically includes some kind of reduction in penalty and a fine. But what you're doing in Colorado is that there's no fines, no limits on possession. Um, you're removing criminal penalties completely for for the possession and use of these medicines to me that's legalization and so i think um in the context of colorado it is fair to say that dimethyltryptamine ibogaine mescaline not including peyote psilocybin and psilocin have been legalized for um for adults 21 and over to use possess cultivate um transport transfer gift share um you know, there are guardrails, uh, you know, folks can share a, an amount that's necessary with others in the context of 
community healing and supportive services, guidance, you know, harm reduction services, uh, religious use, et cetera. Um, so that's, yeah. So it, I hope that makes sense. Cause that was a lot. Does that make that's sense? That's great. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. Thank okay. you. It, it is, it is much more complicated than it seems on the service level. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's something that, I mean, as we live in, as Eric mentioned, when we first started, we live in this, this psychedelic bubble sometimes and really take for granted how much we have been immersed in all this information. But as you said, there's still so much more education to do for the general population. So, <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm, I'm learning how to like really tighten it up. <laughs> Cause, <laughs> yeah. Because you know, like learning so much about policy reform, I can, I feel like just this, this vast wealth of, and I have to get everything out there, but <laughs> I can keep it a little bit shorter for sure. Yeah, the policy. I know what you mean. <laughs> I particularly love this um, ability to gift mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that seems like such Mm-hmm. an essential and powerful part of this, you know, and, you know, we were, we were relatively involved in, in the, at least the re- attempts to bring in some religious protection under Oregon. And I think that was one of the biggest disappointments to me is that they, you know, you have to charge for psilocybin and, you know, we pick a lot of wild psilocybin here that, I'm not trying to, I would never try to make money. I don't, I don't, we gift all of our mushrooms to our members anyway. That's part of who we are as a community, you know? And so to take that away is just, it just doesn't make sense to me. But can I ask a question about the, the religious communities in Oregon? Because so a lot of people come to us thinking that sanctuary and psychedelic churches are um, just a way of trying to be a workaround, right? That, we just want to create a loophole. I believe that that the uh, spiritual access or re- religious organizations, however you want to term this that we're comfortable with, is truly the future of psychedelics long term. Because even as research tells us over and over, it's the mystical experience that you know really elicits the long term healing. So they are mystical in nature, and I'm just wondering, like you know, in Colorado where we you have kind of much more access, much more freedom to practice. Are are we already seeing, because this seems like the the little Petri dish, the best little you know Petri dish of psilocybin that we have right now. Are we seeing a an expansion of religious communities or is it moving more towards, you know, therapeutic communities or is it more towards private in-home practices? What what are what's the trending that you're seeing out there? All of the above. Okay. All of the above. Uh, there are a number of churches that are, that are emerging here in Colorado, and and they're using that five hundred eight one A or I, I forget C1A. the, the RS, C, yeah five hundred eight C one A right. So and and creating you know containers for this work from that religious use perspective. The people are writing doctrines. Um, you know, so we so we certainly are seeing more church organizations emerging, uh, and and as you both also well know, like like this work has been happening underground for such a long mm-hmm. time. There are communities of work mm-hmm. where they may not, you know, it's not a church per se, but maybe they meet a couple times a month and mm-hmm. and get together as friends and family to have a ceremony together. I'm totally having a deja vu right now. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, <laughs> <Woo>! And, and <laughs> um, 
Yeah, right. That's <laughs> um, kind of threw me off for a second. I was like, "Whoa, that's doing, a strong way. doing something good." Then, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's, it's uh, we're on the right path here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, like when I saw when I saw you coming up with the decrim, I was like, "I know that guy. I know that guy from like I don't know Maya Land or something. Were we were we in this together before?" So anyway, <laughs> yeah, seriously, I, I had a um, I recently sat with a, a, a new good friend who's who who facilitated a psychic reading for me and she was like you've been here like 584 times i was like okay i can yeah i i can feel that like mm. you know i've done a lot of work it seems like in this lifetime too and it's like bringing it all together now potentially right so did, did they did they tell you this was your last earth incarnation because that's no what I, was told, right? <laughs> <laughs> th- I, I was told uh, through someone else who asked a psychic about me that this was my last incarnation on this earth and I would be moving to another planet. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. That's so, beautiful. Oh, oh. <laughs> I yeah. hope I go yeah, too. Yeah. With you. Yeah. Yeah, let's go together. Please. Yeah, together. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Oh. So anyway, yeah, just, just the like on the ground, what it's looking like yeah. out there. It's so curious. Yeah. Right. So, so, okay. So what I, what I, what's really cool about the way that we pass this measure with this kind of 18 month window, it's now about, 17 month window before the regulations come down is that, you know, we have the possibility for this emergence of, you know, different communities to mm-hmm. start getting to work. Well, well, continuing to work in their communities, but in a much more uh, possibly dynamic, maybe a little bit more official mm-hmm. way. And and my hope is that uh, all the communities across the state who are already engaging in this work and now doing so under the context of Prop 122, where they're protected can really create good models for mm-hmm. our state legislature and for the regulatory body to consider um, and for the advisory board that we have, you know, to, to consider all these different community models that, that are, that are, you know, fruiting bodies here mm-hmm. in the state as they, as they create their, their regulations. And, 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 you know, we got to protect, you know, these civil liberties and human rights that were just passed by, 1.3 million voters in the state of Colorado. Um, I said recently that, you know, voters here recently took a hero's dose together. <laughs> that might be a little bit, maybe a micro dose, but I mean, we all said <laughs> yes to this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, filling in that bubble that says yes, I'm sure it was exciting for a lot of people. It sure was for me as on election night, I was racing to get my ballot to turn it in. Oh God, there's people around um, the country watching them. People around the world yeah. are watching this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, like from on the ground, knowing that the medicine is here, it's in community already. And, um, and it's been here, right. I mean, for 70 years now, um, since CSA. Yeah. I mean, people have been working with this stuff for a long time. And now we, now that we have the chance where, where there's, there's liberation. Um, and like, I was, I, I keep, I keep getting goosebumps because it's, it always just fascinates me. Well, like people just feel safe talking about this now, uh, yeah. um, you know, and, and like to be able to recommend somebody, uh, you know, over a text message and not signal or some other encrypted app and to be open mm-hmm. about our communication here, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there are, it's important to be tactful and mindful. Right. But the fact that we can even just have public discourse now in a much more, um, you know, a much more open way is, is so fascinating and tremendous. Mm -hmm. And, and I hope that discourse and the the fact that more people are engaging with, you know, in this work will have an influence on what the rules look like in, in 2024 Mm -hmm. when they come down. Mm -hmm. And, 
And, you know, we have, again, lots of education to do. Um, Because now we're, the, the whole playing field has changed, right? Like from the campaign and there were, you know, different folks that we were talking to. Now we're talking to state lawmakers, county commissioners, you know, local elected officials, city council, et cetera, you know, businesses, um, you know, state agencies. It's a, it's a whole, it's a whole new next phase of this conversation kind of as we're continuing to build our coalition across the state here to support this implementation and, you know, knowing that we have so many people who are so deeply rooted and connected with this medicine. Um, it's important to me that um, as much as possible, that they're involved, um, you know, in this, this, rulemaking process the next next 17 months mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah i guess that brings up the question for me and like how much could it change you know mm-hmm. Do you, which part which well just like change? the like the gifting of sacrament or the gifting of mushrooms you know um in-home mm-hmm. personal use i mean the home cultivation seems like a really important part when oregon brought in the no wild mushrooms i was like livid because that's like nature's finest in my opinion so yeah i mean do you have any kind of a read on it i mean still a ways out obviously but sure sure yeah well 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 first of all um Okay, getting back into policy talk, and I'm going to keep this concise, <laughs> um, this part concise. So our measure, so Proposition 122 is, a, is what's known as a statutory measure. Um, and there's also a constitutional measure, which requires a little bit more of, of a popular vote to make it a constitutional amendment to the state's mm. constitution. Being Prop 122 being a statutory measure, that means that our state lawmakers, so state senators and state representatives, uh, do have the power um, to amend Proposition one, Prop 122 in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what we know right now is that, first of all, DORA. So DORA is the Department of Regulatory Agencies. That's the state agency that is overseeing the regulated natural medicine access program um, and has oversight there. You know, they were just recently quoted in an article here locally describing how they have no idea what they're doing with (laughs) (laughs) which is good for them for being honest (laughs) for being honest right right. you know i mean i mean goodness you know we dropped this (laughs) when voters said yes to this we have this incredible 18 page ballot measure and it's just like here you go Hey, have fun. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Figure yeah. this out. Figure that you out. Know, yeah. <laughs> this is new. It's it's a new regulatory framework, right? And so they're asking for help. Mm. Right. So I think like like what we know right now, there's there's two things. We know that two state lawmakers are working together on enabling legislation. Um, enabling legislation is basically a piece of legislation that's written by lawmakers that essentially initiates the process of integrating Proposition 122 into the state's regulatory infrastructure. So they've, from what I understand, um, they're figuring out how to make this work. They also have concerns around um, personal use. And it's been a hot topic in our community recently because people are concerned that state lawmakers are going to potentially recriminalize mm-hmm. um, the possession of, of natural medicines. Now, these lawmakers have said publicly that they don't want to do that. And they want to have whatever legislation is introduced, have that legislation embody 
embody the spirit of the measure. Nothing's been written right now. They are drafting something. And I believe it's what we need to do is be ready to organize. And while we are organizing and we need to be ready to have, as I mentioned before, individuals with strong, compelling stories to go to our state legislature and testify um, and share about their experience with these medicines and just like really, really, you know, emphatically say these are our natural right to use these, you know, for healing, for transformational purposes. Are you looking for a community that allows you to authentically express and explore what it means to be human? One that honors the divinity within you and all life? Then Sanctuary may be just the community you have been looking for. Sanctuary is a faith-based organization centered around the sacrament of sacred mushrooms for spiritual exploration and personal development. You are invited to become a member and commune with us. Join us for a Sunday Zoom service or a weekend sacred mushroom retreat in the beautiful Kentucky countryside. Visit P-S-A-N-C-T-U-A-R-Y dot org to become a member and find more information. Um, so, you know, we will wait and see what the what the bill ends up saying as it's written. Okay. And I know they're considering other things, too, like how, you know, should other state agencies get involved? You know, how is this thing going to be, you know, how can we potentially, you know, split the burden of of work between different state agencies. And that reminds me, I mean, to me, from my perspective, the burden of proof is on our lawmakers to provide compelling evidence um, that clearly shows that uh, um, adding additional limits to the personal use of natural medicines creates a clear risk to public health and safety. Um, They have to prove that because all of the data that we have says otherwise. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and my hope is that, you know, currently at this time that, that, um, you know, that at least in terms of limits, because I, I totally, totally support like how, you know, how are we better integrating proposition 122 into the state's regulatory infrastructure at the state level and the local level um, at the same time, you know, my request is like, Hey, let's just, let's wait a little bit. Let's collect some data. Let's look at enforcement data. Let's let's, Lawmakers are concerned about, you know, massive distribution and, you know, pounds of mushrooms going out of state. Um, There may not necessarily be any evidence for that to be the case. So what I am excited about kind of in this whole process as I'm navigating it is like we get to have a really powerful dialogue, you know, with our lawmakers here um, Mm -hmm. in a way that's that's rational and pragmatic and respectful and professional. And I think at the end of the day, if we can, you know, bring bring some of these faces forward of people who've had, you know, tremendous healing experiences with this medicine and then combining that with this data, um, you know, I I think, I think we'll be successful. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the, just to kind of close this one, close the loop here in terms of the regulated access program. um, So Dora, which is the agency I mentioned, their only oversight is for the therapeutic access, not for personal use. Okay. Um, mm. law, lawmakers can, as I mentioned, lawmakers can certainly um, make amendments as they feel necessary, but all of that has to go through the whole process at the state capitol. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so big question for me in all of this, uh, obviously this is just your opinion right now, um, but facilitators experience mm-hmm. can, 
can Colorado please make it such that facilitators must have more than one mushroom trip under their belt before they are a service provider? <laughs> That's my, my opinion. You may differ. Uh, curious what your thoughts are on that. Uh, but it just seems like when we, when we talk about public safety, mm. the fact that this is not brought into the conversation blows my mind. Like that was never, that was, it was brought into the conversation, but it was just as easily dismissed, you know, in the in, in the talks up in Oregon. And, and like, I just personally don't think that there's anything that is more important to safety with psilocybin than having the sitters be highly or moderately at minimum experienced with the medicine itself. What are your thoughts? I, I agree with you. If it were a perfect world, I would say that facilitators, a part of their training is, is an experiential. Um, you know, we know that, is that I have a lot of folks that I know who are, who are in the ketamine assisted psychotherapy space, mm-hmm. who are doing training in that regard. And uh, a part of their training is that experiential basically week mm-hmm. with their, uh, with their students. My hope is that, yes, that that would be part of one of the requirements to be a facilitator. I can see a situation where, uh, on on the other hand, a person might have deep personal experience with other forms of consciousness expanding modalities, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and and where that person may also be qualified to, um, you know, get licensed as a facilitator after they go through a training. But I agree. I I think part of the training program should be, um, you know, if people are going to administer these medicines in a regulated licensed setting and they have a license and they're you know, a, a trained facilitator, then they should have experience directly with this medicine. And, you know, it's interesting, Eric, I've never heard it actually, you know, when you said in terms of safety, um, can you, can you unpack that a little bit? Cause I'm really curious oh. about that from a safety perspective of, of folks having experience with this, if they're facilitating. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. the, there, there are Dozens and dozens and dozens of instances that come to mind for me as a facilitator of uh, deep trauma healing. Uh, the yeah. one that is most pronounced, easiest for me to to share right now, is working with a thirty-something-year-old man who was just certain he had lost his mind, certain he was in some nightmare hellscape, right, and he was never going to get out. Uh, and he told me afterwards that the only thing, and there were multiple facilitators there, and he was just like, the only person he would would even be with was me. And he told me afterwards that the reason was is because he knew that I had been there. He knew when I looked in his eyes and told him, and he asked me, "Have you? has this ever happened to you? And I looked in his eyes and I said, I've been there. You're going to get through this and I'm going to be with you until you do that. I know played such a crucial role. And in, in, in he, he wasn't, I mean, he, it was a long challenging night after that, you know um, but him knowing that I know, and there's another guy I worked with this, uh, this young, young boxer, right. Who had been raped by um, he'd been gang raped by several men and during his trip at the very outset, he started to feel like, oh, my God, I've put myself in another scenario. He's reliving his trauma. I'm in this place with unfamiliar people. I'm getting ready to be attacked or whatever. And he, you know, to, to be able to exude that knowing 
that I understand that you are terrified and I understand that you feel like you're not going to get out of this. And I want you to know that you are and you are safe. And I'm, and, and there's just, you know, (laughs) there's so little that we know as a culture about working with these medicines that have been removed from our cultural experience for so long. And they require so much exposure because it it can be so confusing and, and, and you forget so much of it after it's gone. And, and so it takes so many approaches before you really truly gain that knowing. And then the fact that this is so much of an energetic experience and so much of what we communicate to people. And I have also worked with therapists who were uh, anxious or worried about the people that we're working with. And those individuals came to me and said, thank God you were there because your therapist was terrified of me. And I could tell that. And the only reason that I was able to kind of stay centered and feel safe is because you were smiling at me while she was, you know, like sweating over there in the corner. So, you know, this work is, it's, it requires attention to so many subtleties and so much nuance and so much unspoken communication. And I just don't think that we have the background as a culture to understand that. And so those who do have that real deep, rich level of experience, I feel like it's, it is our place to, you know, be at the table in these conversations so that we can keep everybody safe. That's absolutely what it's all about. You know, I'm not trying to peer pressure. I've had people accuse me of trying to peer pressure them into taking mushrooms because if you're going to be a facilitator for me, you're going to take mushrooms, period. And I'm not going to like force it on you, but, you know, we're going to schedule this and this is going to be part of your training protocol uh, because I want to keep everybody safe. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that, that's so powerful, right? Because if, if we look at how these medicines have been used traditionally and, and how people apprentice under, mm-hmm. uh, you know, under, under medicine holders, they, part of that apprenticeship is working directly with the medicine <laughs> and having that deep personal experience and having those challenging moments as well and learning how to navigate that space. Like mm-hmm. for me personally, you're, you're anybody that I work with in this space, uh, you know, who's, who's sitting for me, I want them to have more experience than I do. Um, and and so I'm 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 right there with you. I can't speak to how that's going to you know whether or not that'll be the case here in Colorado, but I certainly mm-hmm. hope so. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the opportunity that we have with that is that with with our natural medicine advisory board, I hope they really invite this kind of a conversation with people in our community who aren't a part of that official board that's mm-hmm. making recommendations to the agency. Um, so I, I really hope that you know, like my hope is that we have this really tremendous opportunity of convergence for a lot of different interests in this space. Um, and that especially that, uh, you know, the decision makers and the policy makers um, are taking the time to, uh, you know, listen to members of our community, you know, like both of you um, and folks, you know, like you who are here in Colorado, who, who have this connection and, and want to see, I mean, that's a strong argument from a safety perspective. Um, to have deep experience with this and to know how to guide a person, you know, into a, a, a more fruitful outcome, you know, because mm-hmm. it's so easy to, to my own personal experience, it's so easy to get lost in there when it gets hard. For sure. You know, and, for sure. And, 
And so, yeah, so, you know, we'll see. And again, the opportunity for a lot of advocacy um, here in the state to reach and connect with and educate, you know, these individuals who are making these decisions. So, I mean, even more broadly, what's your, what are your thoughts or how do you, uh, your perspective on, you know, the, 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 that it seems like psilocybin and other plant medicines like mescaline and whatnot, uh, psychedelic plant medicines are being treated and compared to treated like and compared to Western modalities, right? Like mm-hmm. your whatever, your fentanyl or your Tylenol or whatever it is, exactly. right? And these are so very different. So I'm just curious on how how to frame that conversation so that people like most legislators are not going to have the experience. How do we contextualize this so that they understand that, you know, this is not a typical Western medicine? Mm-hmm. Mm, first and foremost, bringing in that indigenous perspective, you know, members of, you know, folks who were in indigenous community um, who've been working with these medicines, whether here in the States or, you know, in other parts of the world to really bring that perspective in from a traditional use and talking about how, you know, if we're referring to these as medicines, then um, as distinct from, you know, your SSRIs or, even over-the-counter stuff. Um, I, I think it's helpful for people to know that there's actually a process here. Um, you're not just popping a pill, right? And your your symptoms go away. Um, and, and that's why I love doing this work and frankly why it can be so challenging sometimes because it is a process-oriented thing, right? It's, um, I actually love, I, I love a, a new friend kind of framed it in a, in a way for me where he said, um, Basically, working with these medicines is 10% preparation, 20% the experience, and then 70% integration, right? We, you know, we're more often than not going to find much more success with working with these plants and fungi if we're actually deeply engaged in that integration process. And mm, so I, I think really that's where so much of this education comes in, especially for lawmakers who understand that. For many of us, and myself included, we don't necessarily want to see the only models of access to these medicines being top-down, highly regulated medical models where you're potentially, you know, if you're prescribed this medicine and then you use it in kind of a whitewashed, sterile setting is not really the appropriate context, at least from my perspective for this, right? So it's going to take some time. And honestly, I think that you know, I think you're correct in saying a lot of lawmakers aren't going to work with these medicines or try them. And I do know just from the conversations I've had that a lot actually have, um, which is really helpful. Right. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's, that's why I was saying big ship, small rudder, Mm -hmm. right. You know, we have a lot of work to do here in Colorado to educate uh, bureaucrats and people who are making these decisions but then more culturally, if we're looking at the kind of the broader landscape and ecosystem of this work, like, um, you know, the, the more of, of these personal stories that we can get in front of people that's also backed up by the science and the data, I think, is, is the right path. And, you know, in many cases, people are going to need to have an, an experience with this medicine to actually be able to effectively describe it, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially to decision makers. And that's, again, where that, where that comes in is like, you know, are you, as a person advocating for this from, well, you know, in terms of the policy reform side, like, you know, I've, I've 
worked with a lot of people in the past who've never had a, an experience um, that has changed actually um, recently in the last <laughs> few months. Um, and and the folks that I've worked with are certainly you know very well intentioned, and and believe in the power of 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 these medicines from that place of looking at the science and the data and you know combining personal experience and how these medicines have transformed our life for the better with with that data is is the way to go mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> i feel like it'll be there there will be this acknowledgement i mean as these um service centers open up and people therapists and practitioners who haven't had much experience working with these psychedelic plants, but want to, um, I feel like there will just be this evolution of wanting to seek counsel from those people who have had a lot of experience just to manage things that are going to come up. So yeah, big ship, small rudder. Oh, it's going to, yeah, it's going to be an evolving process for a very long time, which is part of the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we right. potentially are at the outset of developing a a new model of not, I don't want to use the term shamanism because it's been misappropriated and reappropriated all over the place, but for a, a an engagement with these sacred plants that is unlike anything that the world has ever seen. And that's what that, that excites me a great deal. Um, and so I want to, I want to also be inclusive and say that I know and have experienced very deeply that there are those who have not worked with psilocybin or other psychedelics that have taught me so much about supporting people and being present. Right. So it's a constant give and take and it's, and we are all in this together and anytime there is an exclusive mindset, and that's what like I, I would love to see us get rid of. That's not, um, you know, the spirit of psychedelics. And I think it's inevitable as they become more accessible that we will see greater humility in our practice and more inclusivity. Hmm. I agree. I mean, I mean, I'm in this work in some way for the rest of my life, knowing that it's still going to be happening after I leave this, you know, leave this plane. Um, and, and to acknowledge that it was beautifully said, I mean, to, to acknowledge that, you know, people have different perspectives with, with these medicines and there, you know, there, there may be some, you know, some, some give and take, and it's going to take time. And um, I think that's a good thing. I think rushing now that we're here and we've, you know, kind of planted our flag or maybe dropped a, giant spore under the <laughs> golden dome of our state capital um, as, as this, you know, as, as this work myceliates across the state and the country, um, you know, mushrooms take time to grow that, you know, that, that mycelial network spreads far and wide um, and little fruiting bodies pop up, you know, where they, where they can. And I think that that's a good thing to be, mm, yeah, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. That's mm. what I learned from my time in the military. It was a phrase that they kept just honing in with us. Mm. Um, mm. You know, and I think, you know, because as if if we're rushing things, and to be fair and transparent, people felt like we were rushing the process here in Colorado um, with a great outcome now. But yeah, this, you know, from a, from, you know, zooming out perspective, not only looking here at, 
not only looking at the US, but also globally, right? Like it's important that we have these, these conversations and then learn uh, to the best of our ability how to, you know, combine how these medicines have been utilized traditionally into, uh, a, you know, a, a postmodern model that can really work um, and is accessible mm-hmm. to uh, people from all walks of life. And mm-hmm. and I think that's why what one thing that really excites me about Prop 122, I think, is is kind of the diversity of offerings and ways to access this medicine that may that may be available to people. For sure. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. Could you speak more on? Um... I believe it's called Vote Nature. Is that something sure. that? Yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, thank you for asking. Goodness. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just talk um, some more if you would, Yeah, still, still in fundraising <laughs> mode with Vote Nature. So Vote Nature, okay. So um, after Denver, about a year later, um, I wanted to figure out a way to make this process of policy reform more accessible to people to get people more engaged in this democratic process. And so here's a fun fact. Okay. Which blows me away actually in only 26 States in the U S can people organize and petition together to change laws at the city or the state level, Um, Hmm. which is, you know, weird in Hmm. the rest of the States laws get made through state legislatures. So, you know, the state elected officials are writing and, and passing bills, mm-hmm. which is just so interesting. Like mm-hmm. in the quote unquote land of the free and only in half the country can citizens actually, you know, change laws directly by placing something on the ballot. Um, wow. I was not aware of this. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So now in, to be fair, working through the state legislature is much less expensive than mm. placing something on the ballot. Um, hmm. you know, and for example, I was, I was with a, a friend of mine who's an attorney, um, and she was working in, in, uh, um, Michigan. And she was just commenting on, on how hard it is, um, to, for citizens to put something on the ballot. Right. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of hoops for people to jump through. It's time consuming. There's weird deadlines. It was, you know, we spent five and a half million dollars here in Colorado to get our measure across the finish line. Like, you know, wow. it's a lot of money for something like wow. this and, and it's necessary. Vote Nature is a platform that exists to democratize this process, um, to democratize psychedelic policy reform. And the way that it works is that it empowers citizens to directly contact their state lawmakers and share their personal stories of healing and transformation with these medicines. Um, oh, cool. So the way, so you, you guys might be, you, you might be familiar, like when a bill is going through a state legislature, it's introduced, it has to go through a certain number of committees these committees, you know, are all filled with lawmakers. They're making amendments as the bill kind of marches along its path towards uh, a vote on the Senate floor, let's just say. Mm-hmm. Um, every single time this bill goes through a committee, there's always a call to action. Show up and testify. Write a letter to your representative. Call your state senator's office. Um, vote Nature is a digital platform that collapses all of those calls to action into, a, into one place and makes it possible for people essentially with the click of a button to grab their phone 
there's the camera. Oh, this, this way say, you know, these medicines changed my life. Please lawmakers support this bill, right? Send. Wow. Um, wow. And it happens. Oh, that's awesome. It, it only works. It works because it's at scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not getting, so lawmakers aren't getting, you know, one or two or maybe a dozen emails a week. They're getting hundreds of emails, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, thousands of emails a month from their constituents saying, we want you to support this bill to decriminalize and theogenics. Oh, that's incredible. Because lawmakers need to hear from their constituents on how to vote on things, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not listening to their constituents and there's something wrong there. <laughs> um, so that, that's the beauty of the platform. Um, because it works at scale and, and it can work in, well, especially now in Colorado, uh, because we have this legislative process that's currently happening at our state capital where they might make amendments to the measure. Um, and it can work in all these, you know, the, the dozen states that are currently considering some kind of psychedelic legislation where if we can drive, um, you know, really empower people with the tools to get re-engaged in the democratic process. And like, you know, I mean, I really resonate with like, imagine the, the, the beauty of um, making it possible for, for our citizens to be more involved in how our government makes decisions mm-hmm. and, and with vote nature as a platform in, in, in one way, being able to, to unite a lot of these voices under a common cause to say yes to this kind of stuff. Um, or in some cases to say no to it, because it can work in the other direction too. If there's a bill that's introduced that, um, you know, the community doesn't necessarily agree with, then, mm-hmm. you know, we can, we can advocate in that other direction as well. So thank you for asking. Um, awesome. Very yeah. excited about it. Yeah. There's a yeah, great resource. And, yeah. Yeah. One, so, yeah. so, that, so, so it, it, this is live. This is something people can engage. It's not, in. it's not live yet. It's not okay. live yet. That's why I'm, I'm still fundraising. I haven't put a lot of energy behind the fundraising component because I've had so much other work going on, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, pretty soon there is a GoFundMe, um, and and pretty soon I'm going to start putting more just just more content, more posts, build more awareness about the possibility of this platform um, mm. in the coming weeks to share more about it. And the the platform is already built. It's just a matter of basically flipping the flipping the switch on essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because um, I I partnered with an organization who essentially white labeled the the um the platform, and oh. and they've they've been doing this for a couple of years now, hmm. and ah. they've. they've They've worked with huge companies and um, I think both sides of the aisle in terms of, of Democrats and Republicans. And, and it's just, it's, it's a powerful digital advocacy tool which um, can benefit and kind of, you know, yes, I said slow is smooth and smooth is fast, but any kind of support that knowing that this is happening, we're in this right now. So any kind of support that, um, that, you know, I can bring, to work with other folks in other states on these issues and also really galvanize a community mm-hmm. um, around those bills, then I think that's a good idea. Yeah, sure. I love this. I love how simple it is. I yeah. mean, I've always been intimidated by like figuring out the process of contacting our lawmakers in mm-hmm. Kentucky mm-hmm. and, you know, people are so busy and overwhelmed as it is. So anything to make things mm-hmm. more simpler, more simple. It's yeah. great. And I mean, you know, the slow, slow is steady and what is it? Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Yep. Is that right? I mean, That's you right. know, I, I, I had the visual of a landslide, you know, you think that a landslide is just that one singular movement, but it's perhaps years of little pebbles mm-hmm. falling, you know, before 
something big gives way and you've certainly been uh, doing the doing the work. So talk about your consulting. You're, you're expanding this out past Colorado, trying to help more people influence their local governments. This is something we're very interested in here in Louisville. We've been talking about a Louisville mm-hmm. decram for a while, um, but don't even know how to start the process. So mm. share, share with our listeners what you're doing to help you know expand this out around the country. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. So I, I also uh, manage my my one person consulting firm. It's called Helix <laughs> Consulting Group. And uh, that's the organization that I actually use for, for all of my work, um, my contract work, my campaign work. Um, and, and essentially that organization exists to um, just be there as a strategic advisor and support and to consult on actually, you know, what does this policy reform process look like? How do you get started locally or at the county level or at the state level? Um, and just to bring, you know, all of, as, as I'm still learning so much about this work, mm-hmm. um, uh, but feeling really called to bring the last five years of my experience working in psychedelic public affairs and policy reform um, to support other people with this. And right now, a lot of that work um, with limited bandwidth is actually really still focused here in Colorado. And, and I think as a, as a consulting group, and especially as Vote Nature gets online, because the two can really, mm-hmm. really intersect well together, um, you know, I, I, I intend to expand and, and just, you know, be here as, as a, a pragmatically radical voice, um, you know, that has a couple of success, you know, victories on my belt um, to help uh, other, other people, you know, find similar success with this work. And, and I think, you know, for me personally, it's, uh, it's, it's an opportunity to, mm, for a long time, I've wanted to teach. And I think it's an opportunity to share these skills and teach other people how to do this work, you know, receive a, a modest, you know, you know, energetic exchange or income from it, but really to be able to step back and, 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 you know, sit in the joy of, of knowing that other people are, are, are doing this work. Cause we need, we need more folks to, yeah. from my perspective, to step up and engage their lawmakers, engage their cities, et cetera, and, 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 and uh, help move this forward. For sure. I Agreed. mean, sure. I wonder how much you recognize your own courage. It's something that people have said to me over the years, like, wow, you're so courageous for starting these retreats in Jamaica. And I was just like, uh, like what else? What else am I going to do? Like, <laughs> lives. like, of course. I'm, but you know, when you take a big, the big picture look at it, and you know how many millions of people are working with these medicines, but because of the threat of imprisonment or social ostracization and all, all that goes along with it, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of very in, people who would have significant influence, keep quiet. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, just want to acknowledge that courage that you have had to put yourself out there really with a family, you know, I mean, having kids, it's another limiting factor for a lot of people Mm -hmm. and, and it communicates the, the value and importance that these plants can bring to families and helping build stronger, healthier families rather than the opposite. You know, personally, I think that it should be the United States government that is correcting the miseducation it was perp- perpetrated through the drug mm-hmm. war, but they're not going to. Uh, so, you know, folks like ourselves have to step up. 
And thank you. Th those early days <laughs> with Denver were certainly uh, a little nerve wracking, right? Mm -hmm. like being very, very uh, as quiet as we could possibly be, especially in the <laughs> early stages where we were drafting, mm -hmm. drafting the various iterations of that, you know, that, that local measure. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I feel so grateful and, and blessed that for some reason spirit chose me to do some of this work and to be a voice for this cause. And, and, and I think, you know, the, as I was saying, the next step is to um, inspire that same kind of courage in other people to do this work. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, thankfully there, as you said, millions of people, you know, okay. So that reminds me, this is just an interesting kind of factoid for, for the listeners this work, it's a populist movement that mm -hmm. I think is gaining more recognition, but not well known right now. Um, and the reason why I say that, you know, in addition to, you know, success at the ballot box we've seen in the last couple of years, you know, 17 cities, state bills and resolutions, et cetera, happening this year. Um, there's a, a couple of, of surveys that were done. One that was two years ago where 35% of American voters believe that psychedelics like psilocybin have a medical benefit. And then there was another study or another, another survey that was done last year that said, that concluded that 65% um, of Americans with some kind of mental or behavioral health challenge want access to mm. psychedelics. Mm. Those are that's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of voters, right? And thankfully, I think we're seeing some movement at the federal level. There's two bills. I'm not as up to speed on them as I'd like to be, but there, there's two bills, I think, currently being considered, bipartisan bills being considered um, in Congress. Um, you know, and, and gosh, like, you know, it's, there are, there are so many voices out there. And I, I think that this demographic of individuals in the U S who really believe in the power of these medicines to change people's lives, that we can actually be a political voice mm -hmm. for change. Um, especially if we're considering how the use of these medicines intersects with so many other things, right? If we're talking about the ecology or food systems and religion and spirituality, right? So there's, something happening here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think it has a ton of, of potential and hundred percent. Yeah. It's just so exciting to watch and be a part of it. So you've talked about, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to hog this Courtney things are coming to mind and we're kind of coming close to our end of here. I know Kevin and I, we went on for about a 90 minutes on the call and I think we said like, all right, we could just talk for two more hours. If oh, we wow, that's but, awesome. So, but my question, you know, you've mentioned you've, you've, use the term spirit at least twice in this conversation. Uh, and I'd, I'd love it if you could share, you know, what, what does spirituality, mysticism, what does that mean to you and how do, what role does the mushroom play in that relationship? Hmm. Thank you for asking that question. I've, always engaged in this process from a spiritual perspective 
in, in the introduction as I was sharing about my, you know, my, my, uh, circumstances around depression, um, and then eventually working with, with, um, with psilocybin mushrooms, um, there's, <laughs> hmm. as I'm listening to that voice inside me right now. learning how to more and more embody that divine spark that exists in everyone. Um, learning how to better listen to that voice um, and then to take action and, and, and create more change in my life from what that, from the, from that guidance that comes from somewhere else. Um, the, the work of policy reform has been very heady for me. <laughs> it's a very heady process. Um, and, 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 and I mean, just the talking about this right now, it's bringing up a lot for me because I've been, especially after the campaign ended, um, I kind of zoomed back at my own experience from the past couple of years and realized that I haven't had as much of a grounded practice as I would like. Uh, as I mentioned, it's been a very kind of cerebral experience for me, especially from that spiritual perspective, like more, more knowledge, right? And knowledge is great but understanding is embodied. You know, we, we can have as much information as, as possible, but if we're not using that information in a way that's um, directing the course of our life on a daily, a daily process, then, then there's no understanding there. Or maybe understanding is a better word. And I would like to start talking more about spirituality in the context of of plant medicines because it, it's 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 something that's not really discussed a lot there's <laughs> and, and this kind of goes along with what i was saying there's three things that we don't talk about in policy reform or politics <laughs> sex death and religion <laughs> and so which happen to be three fundamentals of life are, right the fun and exactly <laughs> and like there's you know there's a lot of intersection with sex death and religion with psychedelics right it's kind of all we talk about on this show <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> right? I mean, we just interviewed <laughs> a death doula last week so anyway oh wow yeah wow, wow. yeah, yeah we're about to launch a death doula training through sanctuary for psychedelic ministers wow. to anyway sorry i'll get off on that man Please. no and that's, that's it's tremendous to hear and, and so how so how do we you know like like knowing how uh, the the mystical experience is grounded so much in how folks have have expressed their you know their their what they got from working with these medicines right like people say it's like either the most spiritual or mystical experience they've ever had in their entire life or like it's in their top five mm -hmm. right and so how do we bring that back into this conversation because I think that it's really important that if we're talking about using these medicines for healing um, what happens when we heal is <laughs> Yeah, you, you all have seen this when we heal and that, that tension and that stress and anxiety and trauma is released. It opens up so much bandwidth for creative potential. And we're, we are creators here on this planet and we, mm. we deserve to remember that and have the tools to be able to um, embody that knowing and understanding so that we can make an impact um, in the world in a way that can, that that can benefit as many people as possible and so that's as i as i'm circling back and kind of zooming out from this work um from doing this work one of the next stages for me is to is to really uh start to deeply embody the work because it's i mean it's 
I'm not perfect. I'm human, right? Like perfect would be boring if there wasn't the yin and the yang and it was all light. That'd be like, mm. eh, this is, where's the messiness? I want some messy in here, you know? So <laughs> yeah, um, it's, and, and, you know, and, and I'm listening to myself because, you know, we know that these experiences can be ineffable, right? Or mm-hmm. very hard to describe. And um, I just know that, that engaging with this question and, and feeling um, the excitement arise within me is, is that that's that that's that inspiration that's that spirit mm-hmm. that's that's coming through and um, you know I I'm learning how to open my voice more in that in that regard and 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 just and get back to that place where kind of pre policy reform integrating all of that work and including it and now transcending it as well because I it's it's time <laughs> it's time yeah I mean you you brought up several times in this conversation community and using these medicines, these sacred plants in community is so powerful. And what is community if we don't have these conversations about what's what's next? And mm. as we have loved ones transition into what's next from this life, um, it's kind of, we have to have these conversations around spirit and what that means to all of us. Uh, so yeah, I feel like it is kind of like the next thing to talk about with psychedelics as we, as we start really focusing on community Mm -hmm. and reconnecting with each other. And that's again, in large part, what happened with Courtney and I, you know, in Jamaica, it was this very therapy oriented wellness retreat, you know, people heard about psilocybin through Michael Pollan and CNN. And so they came with kind of a preconceived idea of what it was about. And it's always been a spirit. From my very first mushroom experience, this was a spiritual experience. I learned things about myself that only whatever, consciousness, God, however you want to term it, could could teach me. And it became really more important. The more enmeshed we became in the world of wellness, the more important it became for us to get back to that world of spirit, uh, you know, because that's where it was all founded. And I do believe, you know, not like who knows what we'll see um, in terms of what organizations look like as time goes on. Uh, but, you know, we talked with um, a medical doctor a few a year or so ago here on the podcast, and she was saying how she thought psychedelics would be what brought spirituality back into medical practice. And I think there's, I think there's a lot of potential there and I I do hope so. You know, we've been divorced from this ineffable aspect of ourselves for, for far too long. And the current religions that we've been practicing in the United States, while they, you know, they have value, there's, there's not a lot of direct experience with this mystical, which is what we all Mm. There is no substitute for experience, as you know Einstein himself said, and uh, so just yeah, seeing that become more and more a part of our our cultural um, embodiment, if you will, of healing uh, seems like it's only natural. Yeah, I'm I'm reminded of hmm, for me personally when you know, well it's until a few days ago it had been two years since i i sat with the medicine um and and the reminder is that this 
this medicine exists within us already. Mm. Right. And sometimes like we are medicine carriers mm -hmm. already, you know, you know, we have androgynous DMT. If we do a good <laughs> breathwork practice. We can certainly release some of that into our, into our physiology, right? Like some Wim Hof method in the morning and a cold shower <laughs> might do it for some people. It does for me. Um, you know, and, and like, like, I think that's one of the beautiful things about working with these medicines as well. And especially the mushrooms, like, and, and grandmother ayahuasca, like, um, it's that reminder. It's like, you're, this is already a part of you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need to, we need to awaken that by, you know, directly working at the source of it, mm -hmm. um, to remind us that we're already always connected to the source of it. We just sometimes need that little nudge. And, and so it's, it'll be interesting to see how, how, you know, the, the, as this ecosystem evolves and matures over the next decades, right. How, how this work has a, a much more transformative impact on, you know, kind of all these different sectors of the human experience, knowing that all of it is at least from, from what I believe emanating from, from spirit and trickling down into the third Absolutely. dimension. Yes. Yes. Reality, yes. Right? yes. Yeah. That's, what, that's what I keep saying is like the psychological benefits of psychedelics are secondary. It's your spirit mm -hmm. is healing and therefore you experience it in your psyche, in your body, in your relationships. So well said. But we're gonna we're gonna have to hop. I know we well, can keep that, on going. I'll just keep on talking. There's some going. Keep going. I, I've got I've got like five questions that I want to ask you, but I'm like, we got we gotta get moving. Well, um, cool. so this is the perfect time for the final question and something yes. that we ask yes. all of our guests. So Kevin, what does psilocybin say to you? Mm, subtlety. Mm. So, subtlety is mm. where the deepest work can happen. And, and that's been, I think, my biggest lesson with this, because the temptation is to be kind of out and proud about this work, right? Um, and if, if I'm being honest with myself and true to the work, then um, I'm really digging deeply into the unseen, the unheard, um, the unknown, constantly stepping into those spaces that, um, that, are, that are very subtle and need refining to gain more clarity and understanding. Mm, I love that. That's a wonderful reminder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You sound like someone who just had a mushroom trip. <laughs> <laughs> I made uh, uh, something. <laughs> uh, Kevin, it's been such a pleasure and I hope that we will be able to have you again on our show in the future to keep sharing your good work. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll also share all of your links and everything mm -hmm. in our show notes and, um, Amazing. Just really look forward to, you know, hope, hopefully continuing the relationship. Yeah, same. Thanks for everything you've done and are continuing to do. You're welcome. Yeah, you're so welcome. And, and Courtney and Eric, it's been it's been a fun talk. I look forward to to seeing you both in person, hopefully in the near future. Oh, yeah. Continuing continuing this conversation. Mm -hmm.